this world that would seek to control us, that would seek to cause us to live a certain way. We reject it in the name of Jesus. And we receive you as Lord and you alone. Father, I pray that your love and mercy would wash over us as we learn from your word, as we listen to your story. And God, I pray that you would help us to listen to our own lives and what you're saying to us in the midst of it. That it would be you and you alone, Christ alone, the cornerstone of our life. That in our weakness, we would be made strong in your love. And that through any storm that we follow you into, we would walk in surrender, knowing that it's you that leads us there. And that you are Lord of all. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Turn that on for a second. Um, <laughs> transition time. Russ, before you come down, would you grab my ear over your microphone? Um, and does anybody have a bulletin I could borrow? Thanks, Sandy. Would you pull out this uh, little insert in your bulletin and on the back, turn it to the back? And actually, I'd like to invite us to stand up for this um, because I'd like to say the Apostles' Creed together this morning. spoke last week and totally abused my microphone. Holy cow. <laughs> All right. So we're going to recite this out loud, and I know this is not something many of you are used to, being from uh, the various evangelical circles, but this is something that is going on all across the world right now in various churches, um, in Turkey, in Afghanistan, in Pakistan, in England, and all across the globe. People are saying this to remind themselves of what they believe, and so I'd like to begin there this morning. Would you say this with me? I believe in God the Father, the Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Some of you right now are having a bodily reaction to that. Like inside, you were going, what? This is a four-square church, right? We're Pentecostal evangelicals. We don't go in for creeds. We don't do that kind of stuff. Some of you who maybe grew up Catholic or uh, or maybe uh, Presbyterian or Lutheran. Or Methodist. I'm, I was getting there. I was waiting for woohoos. I was like, let's let's just honor our spiritual heritage. If if you grew up Catholic, give a woohoo. If you grew up Methodist, give a woohoo. If you grew up Lutheran, give a woohoo. <laughs> now the Lutherans, 
that was their woohoo, okay? <laughs> it's funny because the Lutherans, like, they like beer. I don't understand how that, like, I mean, they love good beer. Like, I don't know, the whole German thing. So anyway, um, let's see, where was I? The Lutherans, who grew up? Baptists. Baptists? Right, now Baptists don't actually raise your hand, though, because um, that would be not okay. The Baptists are really having a hard time with that because the Baptists teach that there is no creed except the Bible. We don't have creeds. Um, and then, like I said, some of you are probably going, you know, maybe grew up Foursquare or didn't grow up in any sort of church background. You're kind of going, this is weird. Is Foursquare allow this? Is it okay? Um, is he going to be hauled off next week by the Foursquare police and taken someplace and, you know, shackled and maybe, you know, put drops in my eyes and hold them wide open to re you know, rehabilitate me. Thank you, Doug. That was the word I was looking for. Um, no, I don't think so. It's okay, right? It's okay. We're going to talk about the creed, um, and I want, I want to, to say this about it. We're going to be actually talking about this for a long time, so I'm hoping that this morning I will put you at ease and you will get comfortable with it. For the next 17 weeks or so, all the way through the new year, we are going to spend some deep time looking at this ancient text, this nearly 2,000-year-old statement of the Christian belief. Some people just went, okay, and some people went, huh? Huh? I don't know how to take that. So I'll reassure you, it's going to be okay. And the reason that I want to do this is because, firstly, it's a precursor to something even bigger. One of the things that Heidi and I felt very strongly, we're going to talk about a little more tonight at the vision meeting, which you should all come to, um, is, is some things that God put on our heart about the church. And I'm going to talk about that in a few minutes, but the evangelical church hasn't done a real good job teaching folks what the evangelical church believes. And they also haven't done a real good job teaching people the Bible. We've taught people parts of the Bible. We've taught you, um, we've given you great series on boldness, on prayer, on, on the very, you know, essence of being a Christian. We've, all these things that make your life better day to day, make you a better Christian day to day. But a lot of people are walking around with these to-do lists that they got from sermon series. You know, if you went back to this last seven years of sermon series and you wrote down all of the, the, the action points that I've given you, right? I've tried to make it real practical for you, like do this, do this, do this, pray, be silent. And it becomes this gigantic to-do list. And then we have no clue what that to-do list is coming out of. We don't understand the context from where it's coming from. So we don't really have a framework, a lot of Christians don't have a framework of Christian belief of what we believe. And then we want to come and actually teach what the Bible is and what it says and what it does, Genesis to Revelation over the course of a year. And so before we got to that, I wanted to sit down and say, hey, let's take a look at this framework, this, this framework of belief, these things that the church has said for 2,000 years, these are the things that we believe. These are the things we believe about God. These are the things we believe about ourselves. These are the things we believe about the church. How does it all weave together? And then we'll go and sit, and we're going to look at the grand story of the whole Bible after that. So this is a big precursor. So welcome to this exciting series. How many of you are excited now? How many of you are scared? Okay, good. Awesome. So the reason I wanted to use this creed, though, is I think that the creed can help us in a few ways. I mean, first way, I believe that the creed can actually help us develop some balance as Christians. There's a lot of Christians in the world, so we've got this, we just sang this part of the song. It says, I believe in God the Father, I believe in Christ the Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit, our God is three in one, which is, sounds like a great deal, like at Arby's or something, right? We're going to get a three in one sandwich, woohoo, you know, we're going to stack them all together and see if we can get that in our mouths. And in getting your brain around an idea like the Trinity is just about impossible. 
So what happens is in our theology, in our, in our believing, in our praying, in our, in our speaking, we'll have churches that will come and, you know, some churches will speak all about God the Father. So they're way into the Old Testament. They're way into this, this God who seems angry and wrathful, who is, is bent toward justice, and they, they focus on God the Father. And then we talk about Jesus as, and then Jesus got us out of, of all the pain of God the Father, right? He got us out of all the anger by taking the cross. And so we've got God the Father, and then we've got kind of Jesus, this guy here. And then we don't even talk about the Holy Spirit, right? We don't even talk about the Holy Spirit. So we're a, actually not a Trinitarian, we're a Binarian. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be exciting to be a Binarian Christian? It sounds weird. It sounds like you're like a computer program or something. You got two, not three. Or we go, we're the Pentecostals. So this is the tradition of the Foursquare. So we're love, we love the Holy Spirit, Right? Pentecostals, we love praying in tongues. We love praying for healing. We love, and we get all out here and like we're floating in the air, like woo, Jesus, I love you. Holy Spirit's filling me, and it's great. And I'm not mocking you because it's wonderful. We need the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit gives us life, gives life to our believing. But we need Jesus, and we need God the Father to keep us grounded in here and now. So it gives us a sense of balance as we learn who these three persons of the Trinity are. And we learn to grab a hold of all three of them somehow. I don't know, maybe grab your toes or something. And hold them together in tension and not to leave one or the other. So it gives us balance. The the creed also gives us some clarity. It makes very, very clear who God is and who I am. Who God is and who God is not. Because there's a lot of opinions about who God is, right? We sing that song. I've heard a thousand stories of what people think you're like, God. But I've heard the tender whispers of love in the dead of night. They tell me that you're pleased and I'm never alone. You're a good father. We have to hold on to these ideas about who God is. And the the creed gives us some statements of clarity. We don't get a God who is loose and fast or who doesn't care about how we act or how we live. The creed also will help inform our community, like who we are as a church. Not just who God is, but who are we? And what are we for? What are we against? What do we truly, deeply believe? Now, I started this sermon talking about all the different denominations that are out there. There are thousands of denominations all across the world, and in the last 10 years, there's been this explosion of them. The church is fractured, 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 from Methodists to Free Methodists, and from Baptist to Southern Baptists, and to American Baptists, and I don't know, there's all kinds of Baptists. And then the Pentecostals, you've got Foursquare, you've got the Assemblies of God, you've got the Evangelical Baptists, you, uh, Pentecostals. It just keeps going and going and going. But as we've watched the world change, as we've watched the world's opinion of Christianity change, where Christianity used to be at the center of the world's culture, right? Everybody went to church on Sundays. They didn't give you special homework on Wednesday nights so that you could go to church on Wednesday nights. Sunday nights was reserved for church. Then you had activities on the weekend, and you were just, your whole life was around church. The culture doesn't buy that anymore. And as the culture moves further and further away from Christianity, I think that all the divisions that happen in the church, all of the little distinctive beliefs that each church has are going to become less and less important because there's fewer of us, and we are going to focus on the essentials. Amy Simple McPherson, the founder of Foursquare, used to have, a, have her banner cry. She would say, oh man, I didn't write it down. What did she say? She said, in the essentials, unity, in the non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity. That's what she used to say. You get that? In essentials, unity. So we stand unified in these beliefs. In the non-essentials, the things that aren't salvation-oriented, the things that aren't going to matter when you get to heaven and God's going to go, it was actually that one, you're going to go, oh, and he's going to go, yeah. And it's like, oh, okay. You know, 
so we, we have liberty in that. We can, we can believe differently. But in everything, we're going to love each other. So the, the creed is going to help us understand and be informed about those central beliefs and who we are. And it's going to give us wise counsel, which is what we talked about with the discernment series, right? Going for wise counsel. Now, uh, it's great to go to Jerry and ask him, Jerry, do you think that what I'm hearing is from God? Do you think the way I'm believing is really about God? Jerry's got a lot of wisdom. But Jerry is not the church of the last 2,000 years. Every wise person of the last 2,000 years sitting down and saying, yes, this is it. This is what we believe. And this will give you direction and clarity and help you know the right path. So now we know what the creed can do for us. I want to make it clear what the creed isn't, okay? And you're going, wait, are we going to talk about the creed or are we going to talk about the Bible? We're going to get to the Bible in just a second. Actually, go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Romans and we're going to come right to it. So what the creed isn't. Firstly, it isn't the Bible, okay? The creed is not the Bible. I have no intention of preaching the creed, and I want to uh, let, let you guys know this. This is not just me that's going to be preaching this. Thank God. You know, praise Jesus. I've got a team of people. We have developed a teaching team here at Pullman Foursquare, um, and that teaching team consists of my amazing wife, Heidi, and Taylor Smith in the back there, and Audrey Fontaine, who is not here, who is a missionary, and so he's going to bring a European worldview to this whole thing. It's going to be really cool. So we've got four people that will be preaching over the course of this thing. And we're going to be preaching the Bible, not the creed. We're going to be using the Bible to get to the creed. And a lot of people want to say that the creed is a little bit like a Cliff Notes version of the Bible. You know, you, you go to class, you come to church on Sunday, and, hey, did you read your Bible this week? Well, I got the creed, so I kind of know what's in there, right? It doesn't really work that way. It's like, well, I watched the movie, the Bible, and so now I know. It's not like that. The creed is not a condensed Cliff version of the Bible. It is, if anything, it doesn't simplify the Bible. It makes it more complicated. Right? It brings more questions, but it gives us a framework from which we can go and study the Bible and understand what's, what's right belief. The creed raises more questions, so rather than a cliff note version, um, it gives us a place to explore from. So the creed is not the Bible. Let's be very clear about that. Secondly, the creed itself doesn't have authority. All right? Because it's not the Bible, it has no authority. Instead, it points back to the authority of Scripture. How many middle schoolers in the room do we have? Middle schoolers, raise your hands. Come on, don't be afraid. Two, three. Any other middle schoolers? All right, this is for you. High school students. All right, okay, science lesson. Here we go. How many of you guys like to look at the moon? Any of you? Anybody like to look at the moon? Okay, you're like, I'm not in this. I don't even know what you're talking about, Pastor. The moon is super cool. We got this telescope given to us a number of years ago, and it was a Galileo telescope, and if we... It took spent about a half hour looking through this thing, trying to find the moon, you know, and you aim right at it, and it's still black. And eventually you find it, and once you get it focused, you can see the moon in all of its perfect glory. You see all these craters and this beautiful light. It is just fantastic to look at. It was entirely upside down because of the, 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 the telescope, but that's neither beside the point. But you look at the moon, and you look at it at night, and you see light. But here's the science lesson, middle school and high school students. The moon itself has no light of its own. Did you know that? If the sun were to go out, the moon would be a black spot in the sky. The moon reflects the light of the sun. And at night, we look at the moon, and we know that there is a light out there somewhere, right? We know that there is something hitting it, and it is reflecting its light back to us. And that's exactly what the creed is. The creed is like the moon. The creed reflects the light, the authority, the power, the story of Scripture. It reflects back to us what the Bible is actually saying. So the, the creed doesn't have an authority. If you, if you learn the creed, it doesn't have this authority over your life. It doesn't set your life. It's the Bible that does, but the creed reflects that light and helps us understand it. Thirdly, 
the creed is not magical. There's some parts of the church throughout the centuries that thought that the creed was like a Harry Potter spell, right? You go to your spell classes, which are called catechism, and you learn what the spell is and how to say the spell. And then you stand up before the church in a white dress, and you say the spell with your magic wand, alakazam, boom, I'm a Christian. Boom, I'm saved, right? I just memorized this entire poem that says all these things I believe, and boom, it has this saving power. Can I tell you guys something? Christians, real, true, honest-to-goodness Christians don't believe in incantations. As much as I like Harry Potter, as much as the stories are great, spells, not so much, okay? We don't believe that these spells have power. We believe that Jesus Christ alone has all power and all authority, and his Holy Spirit residing in us gives us power to live the life that God has called us to, gives us the power to heal the sick and to raise the dead and to live the life that God has intended for us. No spell, no creed, no, none of that stuff is going to give us that magical power. So learning the creed isn't going to change your relationship with God. It won't do it. I like to think of the creed this way. The creed is a road running through the mountains. Like, following Jesus is, is like driving through this mountain road, and, and on either side of the road, there's these vast cliffs, right? If you guys have ever done this, you've driven, driven like, Highway 2 or the, uh, the North Cascades Highway or any of those places like that through Washington State or driven down the Lewiston Grade, and you're going down the Lewiston Grade, and you realize if you look off this side, there's, like, this, this rolling, tumbling cliff into oblivion, and you look off that way, and it's a rolling, tumbling cliff into oblivion, and what did the state give you? guardrails, right? On either side. And so if you're drunk and you're driving down the grade, you're going to go bouncing off of those guardrails side to side, bing, bing, like a ping pong ball. But those guardrails are designed to keep you on the road, right? That's what the creed is. The creed our guard is guardrails to help us as we walk our life with Jesus, as we follow him in his way, as we read his word, the creed gives us these guardrails of right belief that keep us on the highway. And the highway is wide. The highway is wide. It's wider than we want to make it out to be. And it's not black and white. It's not A or B. But it is wide, and we have these guardrails that protect us, that help us understand God's will and God's way. So that's what the the creed is all about. So before, like I said, we said we're not preaching the creed. I want to preach just a part of the creed, and I want to preach it from the Bible. So open your Bibles to Romans, and you're going to be to chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible with you, we're really encouraging people to get paper Bibles, and I'm preaching from the ESV. And uh, right in the back, in the back corners there, there are Bibles, and they're free, and you can use them to follow along, or you can take one home if you don't have one. But Romans chapter 10, and I'm going to be looking at two verses, verses 9 and verse 10. And I'm going to find it right here. Here it is. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. Familiar passage for many of us. It's right here in the middle of the Romans road to salvation is what we call it. It's like this, this pathway that helps us understand how we have a relationship with God. And Paul, writing to his friends in Romans, says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? He didn't say if you memorize the creed. He didn't say if you take catechism class or if you go to the EHS course, which is really good stuff. He didn't say if you do any of those things that you would be saved. He said if you confess with your mouth and believe with your heart, you will be saved. But pay really close attention to this next verse. For with the heart one believes and is justified, 
And that means brought into right standing with God, no longer separated from God, but brought into relationship with him. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. Really, there are two pieces here that I want you to grab a hold of before we can consider the creed in any helpful way. Here's the first one. What we have here is actually a confession of Jesus Christ as Lord. Okay, a confession. Now, we heard, if you're Catholic, you grew up with the idea of confession. You go to the confessional, and you sit in a box, and you talk to the priest. You know, really, that's actually kind of attractive to me. Like, I could go tell some random guy who doesn't know me, and I don't know him, and I could just like, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. And he's like, okay, let's just go for it. And you're like, you just unburden yourself. Great idea. Not the kind of confession this is talking about. It's also not talking about confessing to your spouse or confessing to your friends something that you've done wrong. This is a confession. It's a verbal admission of not wrongdoing, but what you believe. Another way that this is defined is a pledge. Show of hands. How many of you here know the Pledge of Allegiance? All right, good job. Proud of you guys. Used to do this every day in school, right? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. Hey, I actually know the rest of it, but we're going to cut it short because it's too long. Uh, we, we know this pledge, and we're to be pledging our allegiance to a flag, and not just to a flag, but to the United States, and not just to the United States, but the ideals on which the United States was found, right? That's what we do in public schools. We say, we believe in one nation. We believe in that nation being under God. Well, actually, a lot of people don't actually believe in that. They just say it nowadays. And we believe that this nation should be indivisible, that we shouldn't be able to tear it apart, and that we believe there should be liberty and justice for everybody. At least we say that. While we may not give that, if you look at race relationships, you look at economic relationships and all those things, there's a lot of injustice in our country right now going on. But we say every day, and our kids, they stopped this for a while, but they've brought it back. And every day, even at the high school level, they are saying the Pledge of Allegiance at school. The creed is a sort of pledge, just like this verse is a confession. If Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. So Paul is saying here that we have this pledge that we say, and it's not a pledge of allegiance to a flag. It's not a pledge of allegiance to a, a country. Because our allegiance is to Jesus Christ as Lord. In other words, there is no other authority. There is no other nationality. There is no other government. There is no other ruler over my life other than Jesus Christ as Lord. And Jesus Christ has placed me here and now in the United States of America. And Jesus Christ has said to me that I need to honor my authorities as he has placed them over me. But my allegiance is not to the United States. It's to Jesus first. This is a confession of Jesus as Lord. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been around the church for a while. And, or maybe you're coming in from the outside and you're like, well, yeah, I can confess that right now. Jesus Christ is Lord. Easy. I'm saved, right? Boom. That's all I got to do is confess this Jesus Christ is Lord business. I can confess it right now, and I'm saved. And I think Paul here with these verses is going, hey, wait a minute, hold on. Hold your horses here, pal. Slow down just a little bit. Let's keep reading. Here's the second thing that we need to get. So this first thing is that it's confession. The second one is this. For we, with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. There is an order in which belief and confession happens justification takes place in the middle. That's this big theology word, justification, isn't it? It's like, you might know it from Microsoft Word, right? If you go and you're typing a letter, and you go over to the side, and you hit right justified, all of a sudden, all the letters go, boom, over to the right, right? You hit left justified, and now it's a boom, it's all backwards, and it's on the other side of the page. You hit justify all, and it goes side to side, right? Justified, bring into alignment is what that means, to bring yourself into alignment with God, his will and his ways. So when we 
believe with our heart, we are justified. We're brought into alignment with God. And then, out of that belief, we confess. Belief is what I want to draw our, heart, our, our, our attention to. When the Apostles' Creed starts with this, it centers it all in this idea of belief in the heart, not in knowledge of the head. It does not say, the text here does not say, I know in my mind, and therefore I'm justified. It doesn't say, I understand what God is saying, and therefore I am saved and I confess. It doesn't, the creed itself doesn't say, I know there is a God, the Father, maker of heaven and earth. I know that there is Jesus Christ, his only Son, and our Lord, and suffered under Pontius Pilate. I know there's a Holy Spirit and a Holy Catholic Church. It says, I believe in. I believe in. What is the big difference between belief and knowledge? Well, knowledge doesn't necessarily lead to action. You can know all kinds of things and do nothing about it. Like, I know that sometimes pigs have swine flu. I can't do anything about it. I'm not going to do anything about it, and I am going to continue to eat bacon. It's just the way there is. But if I believed in my heart that to eat bacon was going to give me swine flu, having had, think, bird flu, I probably wouldn't eat it because it's miserable, right? If I believed inside me, belief leads to action. Belief leads to confession. I've said this before, and I will say it again. What we believe determines how we live. It determines our actions. If I believe I can fly, I'm far more likely to jump off this building than if I believe that I cannot fly. Quick survey. How many of you are doing things in your life, not, not that second maybe, but you know, let's say this past week. Let's say, how many of you have done things in the past week that you knew in your heart you shouldn't do? Thanks for being honest. Uh, all of you who didn't raise your hands... We're lying just now, and what that means is you just did something that you know you shouldn't do because we're supposed to be honest, right? None of us are perfect. We do things we know we shouldn't do, and yet what we say is what, what we believe. You know, this last couple of weeks, I've been working on being silent before God, like listening to God, and I got to tell you, I get 30 seconds in, and immediately I'm like, suddenly I'm on like my laundry list of things I got to do. I'm like, here I am, Lord. And I better do this next, and I better do this next, and I better do this. And I hear this tap on my shoulder. I'm like, oh yeah, I gotta come back. Okay, here I am, Lord. Go ahead and speak to me. And I'm like, I wonder how the kids are doing. You know, are they, they're kind of quiet. What are they doing? They gotta be getting in trouble somewhere. You know, and it's how it works. Like 30 times. I had somebody, we did silence last week, and we're gonna do it this week again. But every time we do silence, like our brains are going someplace else. We're, we're, we know we want to be in the presence. We know we are in the presence of the Lord, and yet our minds still wander. We still go other places. And that's because we know that God is present, but we may not necessarily believe yet. Or we're growing in that belief to where we're so convicted by that belief that we can act on it and allow that belief to change our behavior. Our beliefs determine our boundaries which was a part of what we talked about with, with the whole which way should I go, discernment discussion. We, we have to have boundaries. Like We have to have paths that, for us that are out of bounds. Our beliefs, things like the creed, help us determine those boundaries. When we get to the fork in the road, we know which way is right and which way is wrong. We can check our ideas against the written word of God, but the creed gives us another place to, to reflect that light of Scripture and look at it and say, these are my boundaries. I'm not going to go off this way, or I'm not going to go off that way. And because of these beliefs, my beliefs determine my behavior. 
there are some things I will do. There are some things that I will not do. There are places I will go. There are places I will not go unless Jesus calls me to them. There are words I will say and words I will not say. There are things that I will do with my friends that I will not, or that I will not do with my friends, all based on the things that we believe. Things that I'll vote for, things that I won't vote for, things that I support, things that I don't support, causes that I'll jump into because I'm called to it, and things that I won't. Our beliefs determine all that thing, all these things. The difference between belief and knowing comes down to this. Humans are passionate beings. We are not driven by knowledge, but we are driven by what we love. Our passion may be knowledge. If you're a professor, I love knowledge. I love learning. But it's not knowledge itself that's driving you. It's your love of knowledge. Here's a great example. When a person has a heart attack, they used to have, like in the 50s and 60s and 70s, the doctor would sit down with this person and be like, hey, look, you really need to change your diet. If you don't change your diet, you're going to die. And the person would be like, okay, I'm going to do that. And what they found, survey showed, after the fact, after that conversation, within a week, the heart patient would go right back to French fries and gigantic hamburgers from Cougar Country, right? Last time I ate at Cougar Country, the person I went to Cougar Country with had a heart attack the next day, okay? Just saying, maybe don't go to Cougar Country. And the doctor says to him, you got to stop eating these things or you're going to die. And you know what? It didn't change anything. Well, I know that if I eat Cougar Country hamburgers and French fries, I am going to have a heart attack and I am going to die. What they found was if they changed their tack and they said, Jerry, if you continue eating Cougar Country hamburgers, he doesn't. Good job. <laughs> Praise Jesus. Okay. Uh, <laughs> McDonald's hamburgers. <laughs> Pink slime, whatever. Um, so, Jerry, if you don't stop, if you don't stop, you will not watch your grandchild graduate high school. Jerry, if you don't stop living this way, you won't get to walk down the aisle with your daughter. She's like all married. You get, you get what I'm saying here? You'd move, you move this thing from a piece of knowledge to something that you love. If you don't change how you're living, the thing that you love, you're going to lose. It's because human beings are motivated by what we love. We're driven by what we love. Very few people have ever been changed by knowledge, but many people have been transformed by the love of God. Knowledge doesn't drive us, our loves do. What do we love? What we love, we chase. What we love drives us. Belief is birthed in the heart. It's not birthed in the brain, which makes the creed kind of difficult for people. We want to memorize this creed, but Paul says, when you believe in your heart, when you believe these things, when you believe this, this roadway that God has laid out for us, when you, when you believe in these things, that belief informs our confession. When you love God and you learn about him and, and that knowledge that you're acquiring is not driven just by a desire for knowledge, but a love of Jesus, then the confession that comes from your mouth is honest and true. And then you are justified. So by saying, I believe, I actually think that the creed anchors itself immediately to the gospel. It anchors itself immediately to the good news of Jesus. 
Every other moral religion in the world, it'll set a standard, it'll set a bar. It says, in order to be in with God, you have to behave a certain way, you have to look a certain way, you have to dress a certain way, you have to meditate a certain way, you have to sit in silence for a long time until trees go around you and you reach nirvana or whatever. We set these high bars, and it's all performance-oriented. And what the creed starts with is, I believe. From my heart, I've done nothing. From, from my actions, I've done nothing. This is all grace. This relationship that God offers us is all grace. It's a free gift. And he just says, look, it's free. I've done everything that you need to be saved. All you need to do is believe. All you got to do is believe. The creed is anchored in the gospel. What we believe matters more than we know. In this room right now, I think that there are a lot of beliefs. Some of them are are creed-like. Some of them are very orthodox, which means right, right thinking. Some of them are way off the rails. We're all across the the spectrum in belief. And the evangelical church across the country shows this. There was recently a survey that was done of the evangelical church in America. And what I saw initially that caused me to go deeper into it is they said that the evangelical church in America is incredibly confused about what they believe. I'm like, what do you mean by that? So I started reading it, and it's from this, uh, this group called the Ligonier Ministries. It's a weird title, I know, but R.C. Sproul was a great preacher back in the day and created this thing, and they did this survey. And as I dug through this survey, uh, uh, it was a belief temperature. You know, what does the church, the evangelical American church, us, what do we believe? And the survey absolutely disturbed me. Here's what it said. First of all, the evangelical church has major confusion about who God is. In the basic doctrine of who God is, the person that we worship, we sing about, the person that we preach about, we talk about every week, they are confused about who is God. Is God the Father? Is he angry? Is God Jesus? Is this nice guy with great hair? Is it, you know, the Holy Spirit, which is out there? I don't, I don't understand. There's this confusion about who they are. And a lot of people believe in one rather than not three, or about two and not three, or three and one, and it just gets confusing. And then worse than this, the survey shows that 86% of evangelicals believe that the Bible is inspired by God. Hooray, right? 46% of those people believe that science discredits the Bible. In other words, they say, this is God's inspired word. This is the inspired word of God. This is what God says. But God is wrong. Science is right. Now, I'm not trying to create an argument between God and science, because I don't think there has to be one. I think God created science. And I think that we've, we've, we've got ourselves stuck in a certain way of thinking about who God is and how God has done things that doesn't necessarily have to be. But 46% of people who believe that this is God's word says this God's word just doesn't, it isn't right. It isn't clear. It isn't, God's wrong about this stuff. And flowing out of that, that muddies the water so much. Now the things that are Uh, that are moral behaviors that the Bible teaches, ethical decisions that we should make as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, because they have said, look, the Bible isn't authoritative, no longer does it have ethical authority over me. So now, some 50% of believers believe that there is no problem with sex outside of marriage. There is no problem with abortion. There is no problem with any of these ethical, moral decisions that I want to make. The world is telling me it's okay to make them. It's my right to make them. I should make them. They have just laid aside the Bible. They've laid aside God's word. They're confused. A.W. Tozer once said that what you think when you think about God 
is the most important thing about you. And I would suggest that what you believe in your heart about who God is and what God says and what God has said and what authority it has in your life is the most important thing that you can ever believe. Is God good? Is God kind? Is God interested or involved in my life or is he far off and could give a rip about what I do? Does God care about the suffering of others? Does God care whether black lives matter or white lives matter or no lives matter or all lives matter? Does God care if we build a wall or we don't build a wall? Does God care if there's police targets? Does he care about any of this stuff? So this is where we're going to end today. If we confess in our hearts and believe with our mouths, then we are saved. Believe in our hearts that belief fosters a confession. This is what I believe. I want to ask you this question. What do you believe about God? Now, a lot of you are like, yeah, those creed things, that, that's, that's it. That's what I believe. It's really good. Thank you, Pastor Jamie. I'll just take the creed and that's, that's it. This is it. I'm going to learn this. I'm going to know this. The reality is a lot of us in the Christian world are what I like to call practical atheists. You guys know what that means? Practical, like, intellectually, I have an intellectual ascent in God. I have an intellectual ascent that Jesus was the son of God, that Jesus lived, all this stuff, but my living, my practical daily life, how I treat my spouse, how I treat my kids, how I vote, how I act at work, the way I speak, says that God actually isn't any of those things. I am a practical atheist. We're all across the board in this room. Some of us are far from God. Some of us are just curious about who God is. Some of us are curious about what the church is all about. Some of us have been believing in God for a very long time, but no matter where we're at, you know, like we're really, really close to God or really far from God, no matter where we're at on that spectrum, there is this core question of what do you really believe about God and what does your life say about it? I want to take some time, and we're going to do this for the next 17 weeks. I keep hearing back from people. Every time you give us two minutes of silence, I hear from God. I'm like, okay, well, then I need to shut up for at least two minutes every week. Hard to do, I've got to tell you. Um, so we're going to take two full minutes silence. And I'm, if you are a believer in God, I want you just to say, God, here I am. Show me what I believe. Show me what I believe. And if you're far from God, or you don't even believe there is a God, or this is just curious and interesting to you, maybe just ask yourself, what do I believe about God? We're going to take two minutes, and we're going to ask ourselves that question.
Firstly, as we continue to engage this series on the creed, I'd like you to invite people that you know. Our world has lost touch with what Christianity is all about. In fact, I'd say the average person in our world, in, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, is more familiar with the teachings of Buddha than they are with the teachings of Jesus. There's a lot of confusion about what Christians believe. A lot of them think that they're Christians, but don't have any clue what they believe. This is a great opportunity for you to invite people who just know about Buddha or know about nobody or have opinions about what Christianity is about or like to come and hear what the church has taught for 2,000 years, what we really believe. And some of it's insane from a human perspective, right? Some of it's just a virgin birth. What? <laughs> have fun. I'm, I'm, I'm not preaching that one. I'm so excited. Um, so invite them to come and find out what we believe. This is a great opportunity to invite them into that. Find somebody that you know, that you love, that you care about. Tell them what you know. You know, all, you know I, I'm learning about who God is. All I really know is that the church is going to tell us more and more and more about what the church believes. So let's go explore it together. And just bring them to church with you. Find somebody you know. Tell them what you know. Bring them to church. It's really simple. So invite people into this series. Because I think it's going to be a great opportunity for them to not just learn what the church teaches, but to be with Jesus and to meet him, okay, face to face. So that's the first thing I want to encourage you in. Secondly, I, I know that all of us are in various places in our relationship with Jesus. And as I do this with the worship team come up, we're actually going to close with a song today. Woo! Send us out on a high note. Um, I want to invite you to sing this song, The Apostles' Creed, with us, I believe, um, as a way of... If you are familiar, like this is your belief, to go ahead and worship Jesus out of that belief. And if you're just curious and you're like just exploring and you're just wondering, sing this song to familiarize yourself with the Apostles' Creed this morning. So would you stand with us?